Hi everyone and good morning from a Louise who is finally back in London. What a trip. I went to Mexico for four weeks and ended up staying for over four months. Opened my heart to the most gorgeous, kind man that I've ever met since my heartbreaking heartbreak of 2020. And I learned so much about myself along the way. I have so much to share about everything I learned when I was away in Mexico, as well as some realizations that I've had since coming back to London. But before we get into that in the next few weeks, I just wanted to share this gem of an episode with you. I know I said I wasn't going to do an episode this week because I was taking some time to prioritize my own mental health as I transition back into London and big city life. But when this episode hit my inbox, I knew I had to share it with you. If you're on TikTok, it's almost impossible to not have come across Lisa Smith, although you might know her as So My Mum's a Therapist. She's got over 600,000 followers and she takes people's TikToks and breaks down the psychology of what is actually going on behind the video. She's a trauma therapist and is EMDR and TRM trained and honestly, her charisma and personality is next to none. She delivers such an intensely powerful punch with every single video and she is doing so much good in this world. Lisa invited me on her podcast, which was such a fangirl moment for me. And so I had to ask her if I could share the recording with you guys. So here it is. It was such a great conversation. And if you aren't already following Lisa on TikTok, you can find her at So My Mum's A Therapist. And you can find me at The Therapy Girl with two underscores. I hope you guys love this episode as much as I loved recording it. And hopefully maybe we'll be doing something together very soon. Until then, lots of love. Take it easy and I'll speak to you soon. Welcome back, dolls. I'm so excited for you to join me today. I have a guest, Louise, who is in Britain and uh, I loved her TikTok videos. So asked her to join me today. She has a podcast where she interviews other therapists. But today I we, we get to talk about what, what started her on TikTok. She, what she does, her name is therapygirl underscore underscore. And she shares what she's learned in therapy and in dating with other people on the platform. And I kind of had a feeling we would hit it off. I just saw her videos and was like, oh, oh, I want to talk to her. And we do. We kind of wander down the path of, of her, her work on herself. And we talk a lot about false self and true self and what happens when you try to hide that true self and where we get our value and our worth from. We also talk about how she met her, her, her current guy. Um, and I love hearing those stories because it is such a reminder of you have no idea what tomorrow brings and it gives us hope. And so we get to hear that. But I really love the insight and the tools that she shares, particularly around an incident where she thought she saw a Bumble app on his phone and how she handled that and how they actually leaned in and had healthy communication, which is so common where you're new in a relationship or maybe not new, but been in a relationship for a while and you see something that bumps you out of your zone and your head starts playing a narrative and then you're trying to figure out how to handle it and still be cool at the same time. And so we really look at a healthy way to handle those kind of situations where I may see something where it causes a threat in my body and bumps me out of my zone. So won't you join us today? Also, if somebody comes to mind, I'd ask that you pass it along. Also, if you have a chance, if you could go on and rate, review, and subscribe, that allows us to grow and reach more people. So won't you join me today as I talk to Louise? Well, welcome back, dolls. Um, I'm excited to have another guest with me this week. And um, b- believe it is not, believe it or not, it's not someone I know super well, but I've seen her videos on 
TikTok and I just, you ever watch a video and you feel like, like, oh, I want to be this person's friend. I want to know them. And Louise, I watched your videos and I was like, I was like, I want to talk with her. Like I was, and, and I'm, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, and you're, you're in London and I'm leaving today for London. So I'm like, we have to grab coffee because what are the odds of that? Um, but can you start by just telling people a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hi. And thank you so much. I feel the same way about you. I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited for you to come to London as well. Um, my name is Louise Romball. I'm the founder of the Open House podcast. And really, I'm just on a mission to share everything that I've learned in therapy with those who maybe are not able to get into therapy themselves. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get into that today. But yeah, it's just been such a revolutionary experience for me. Um, so I'm just sharing that with the world. There's 101 other things I could tell you about what I do Um I mean, I'm I'm in my early 30s now. I have gone through career changes. I was a high-flying lawyer. I've gone through more toxic relationships than you can literally count on two hands. I mean, I have lived life. Um, and instead of being ashamed of it, I've decided just to embrace it and share my learnings with others with love and compassion. So we don't know where we're going to go today, but I'm sure wherever we go, it's going to be exciting. Which is, yeah, exactly. Which is, which makes for the fun. And we may have a little visitor. I have a my little friends, little furballs that are joining us here. So, so if you see little ears poking, poking up, that they're joining. Um, well, you know, I that makes so much sense. Why I so connected with your videos is that we have a very common, common shared goal and vision, and that is not everybody can afford therapy. Not everybody is going to connect with people. And if I can do, if we can do one thing out there to say this is what I learned or this is what was helpful and and really add value to platforms where in all, in all honesty, I don't think there could ever be, oh no, we have too much healthy, too much healthy material on TikTok. Like I don't think we're gonna hear that anytime, anytime <laughs> soon. So anything we can do to add value. And I have a sim similar mission. I just got asked on an interview recently, like, you know, like, oh, like, did you plan on this or did you plan on like some fame? And I'm like, well, first of all, there's no fame. Like, I'm just living my <laughs> life like I normally do. And I said, no, I said that the intent wasn't it, it never started out to brand myself. It really started out with I'm here to add value. If there's a point where it's not adding value or it's not helpful or I'm not enjoying it, I'm out. Like, that is why I'm here is just to simply say, like, there's there's so much value that we can add. And and really, like when when I get comments back that are like, that was so helpful or that makes so much sense. That's what makes my day like that's really what makes my day. Well, how can you how did you get? Well, I like first of all, I like starting right from the beginning because I can't stand when people are at their end and be like, tell people where to find you because I'm like, what if they don't make it all the way to the end? So first of all, can, can you tell people your tag name, your name, your podcast so they know where to find you? Yes. So my name is Louise, but you can find me on TikTok as the therapy girl with two underscores. And you can find my podcast, you know, everywhere you stream your podcast called um, the open house podcast with Louise Rumble and leading therapists. Okay. The open house podcast. Awesome. Yes. And is it on Spotify, Apple? I think it's on Spotify, Apple and Amazon. I think that's where we are right now. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, what started you making videos? Okay, so for a long time, people have said to me, you know, why are you not on TikTok? Why are you not on TikTok? Why are you not on TikTok? And in all honesty, I was like, because I'm too old for TikTok, right? <laughs> you know? yes. like, I have the energy of an 18-year-old and I can dance like a TikTok 18-year-old. But I just felt like, no, that is not... Like, that is just not where I need to be right now. And honestly, one day I just was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do a couple of videos and see what happens. And then, I mean, I've got 80,000 followers in three months. So I was like, 
okay, yeah, this is aligned, it's flowing, and I'm just going to go with it. So that was kind of it was like, there's so much value in my podcast and your podcast, but there's a lot of people that maybe don't make it to the podcast. Right. That I was like, let's just intercept their scroll with something that can just be healthy or loving or compassionate. And that's kind of where I started. Love it. I think that's why, again, very similar. You, some people start out to really intentionally do something. Some people are like, okay, let's just put out a few and see what see what happens. Wow, over 80,000 in three months. That's pretty. But And that, that makes so much sense to me because of why I watched your videos and so genuinely connected. I know other people wanted, wanted, uh, felt probably the the same. Well, if we were to start with like, what have been, and this is a very broad question, but what have been some of your most impactful takeaways from therapy? Oh my goodness. Okay. I would say, I'll give you a brief overview. You can let me know if you want to go into any of them in any specific detail. But my first takeaway is that I, I think that there's a big misconception that if you didn't go through major trauma in your childhood, Mm. that you have nothing to complain about. You don't live in a war zone. You know, you don't live in a, um, asylum seekers camp, you know, very, the deeply traumatic things that the older generations kind of saw as significantly stressful. That doesn't mean that you haven't gone through life-changing events that shape who you are, shape how you show up in the world, your relationships, your friendships, your work, you know, all of that. So digging into my family dynamics, which admittedly, I have a very loving family. I have had a very privileged life. Um, but oh my goodness, there's still so much pain and trauma and conflict that has come. Well, I think that's one of the, the things that that is um, that often too is missed is that that you can say, I have a, a great family or I love my family. And at the same time, here are some things also that one does not override the other. These were the shortcomings. These were where my needs weren't met. These were traumatic experiences in my family. And at the same time, there's positive characteristics where I can be thankful for things in my family and both can exist. You are so right. And I think that sometimes there's this big generalization that we just need to bucket it into good childhood, move on. And you're right. Actually, it's not like that at all. And going into those dynamics and learning through them and feeling through them and, you know, all the things that we just kind of move on from actually has been incredibly impactful for me and has revolutionized my relationship with my family. You know, I'm way closer with my father. Um, who was your typical, very emotionally unavailable, not around a lot, worked insanely hard for his family. Um, I'm closer with him than I've ever been. And that was a journey. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been very impactful, but in very, very good ways. You know, and I, I think that's one of the things I, I have to say, I frequently point out to to clients is that they'll it, cognitively, they'll come in and say like, oh, my dad worked really hard or, oh, I was always provided for. And I'm like, that's cognitive and that's there. And at the same time, that can be there. And there still often can be needs, needs or emotional attunement that was not met. And again, if we only give people two categories, either like good or bad, good family or bad family, good person or bad person, and say, no, no, actually, there's this beautiful whole circle that I can look back and say, where were my needs not met? What am I also very grateful for? And like you said, leaning into that, and and if there's opportunities, not not everyone has opportunities, but if there's opportunities to mend those relationships or to have, as you get older, you know, have different kinds of different kinds of relationships. Yeah, totally. And I also think that for me, you know, I ended up going into these adult relationships, some of which were healthy, but some of which were 
not healthy and were deeply toxic, verging on abusive. And I never, ever connected it back to what I learned as a child about love or needing to chase love or not feeling validated by males and learning that I had to, you know, earn love and I would go for inconsistent men, et cetera, et cetera. So just healing that or going into those childhood wounds has healed my adult relationships as well. So and I yeah. don't think people understand they're all intertwined like that. I, you've heard me talk about this. I'm sure like this, inter, this relationship with self, right? If there's a spiritual relationship, that one too, and the relationship with other, they're, they all are intertwined. And when you're looking at that relationship with self or relationship with family, that's going to impact not only your other adult relationships, but romantic relationships as well. That really that the root of, I like this, the relationship with self, that that is such at the root of all of it. But I want to go back to something you said in the beginning, because when we are, I, I want to always encourage like breaking this, like this misconception of what therapy is for. It is, yes, it is for big T trauma and being a, a therapist that specializes specifically in like body-based work because of trauma, a trauma therapist, you know, they're little T trauma, like this sense of these things that nobody else would have picked up on, but happened. They are just as impactful. And it doesn't have to be like, well, I didn't have the situation John had, like he had it way worse. That's, that's your head. And that's your head dismissing your experience. I mean, one of my biggest journeys I had to go on with my therapist was I, I didn't realize it, but I somehow along the way had internalized this belief that I really was broken or something was wrong with me. And I still remember at a very early age sitting with her and I'm like, I'm not broken. And she, I, I get choked up even thinking about it. She's like, you're not broken. And I was like, I'm not. And like, and I'm like, do you know how long I've thought like I was broken? And I remember just finally like my walk with her and that radically radically change. It was like, I call it root work. You do these root works and, and for somehow, I don't know, some like pixie dust gets sprinkled on it, magical, you know, we'll call it Jesus, call it whatever you want. But all I know is that like, it works its way up through the roots and it so greatly impacted my relationships now by realizing this root underneath and starting to go back and challenge that these roots of feeling broken was mine. But a lot of my clients unloved, not lovable, not having value, right? And all these things that have to do with identity and safety and, and magical, I mean, radical work, really. Oh, I just got goosebumps all over my body when you were telling me that, like, I can feel the energy flowing around yeah. me, like the, the truth in your words. And I think that that kind of brings me to my second point when you ask, you know, what were the deeply impactful moments in your yeah. life? And the second one was a breakup um, about two years ago where I was absolutely flawed. I mean, I could not function. I could not eat. I would have nightmares every night for literally months, five months, six months, to the point that it was also a weird reaction because objectively on paper, even I could admit that this wasn't probably the person that I knew in my heart that I should be spending the rest of my life with. So the reaction to the breakup, you know, visceral, literally mind, body, soul reaction didn't align with the, the kind of conscious reality. And actually what I learned in therapy was that the deep grief I was holding wasn't even really about the breakup. It was about the fact that I felt that this person had confirmed that I was unlovable, you know, yeah. that I was that them leaving when they said, you know, I've seen all of you, all of your truth. I'd never shared it with anyone. I shared it. And then they later left exactly that. It was like reaffirming this subconscious belief that I didn't even know I had about being defective and unlovable. So of course, that, my that, broken. Exa that's exactly 
Yeah, I just love where this is going, girl, because like this, I think when, because when in a lot of the videos, this is what I'm talking about is a sense of if our relationships are not about, hey, I'm whole and I'm lovable, I can be an amazing person and you can be an amazing person. And it's just about not being a fit. But when our worth or being lovable is called into question, then, then the framework in our brain goes, I'm afraid to open up and be myself because if you may see, oh, there we go. Hello, bud. Ted Ted, Ted is joining us. Thank you. Hello, Ted. Um, So if if for those of you that are just listening to Spotify, Ted the cat just jumped on the chair and joined our podcast for today. I love it. He's now trying to get out the window. Maybe he is like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. I feel broken and this is too close to home. Avoid, run, run. He's like, this is just too much, too much therapy today. (laughs) But, uh, but, But the point when... There's this, when we grow up and we decide not to show our whole self and the fear is if I show my whole self, it, what if I'm rejected? And so we hide behind this false self or this fake self. And the fear is, and then I think if I just get to that point where someone loves me enough, and then I show my whole self and there you have exactly what you're, it's, it is devastating or shattering to our nervous system and our sense of identity. If I feel like I showed my whole self and the message I got back from this object outside, I mean, this is object relations therapy and therapy, object relations therapy, this in, in the world of psychology is there's an object outside of me that mirrors back a message about who I am. And that message came back from you of like, I've seen all of you and I'm leaving. And wow, how much that must, yeah, how much that impacted you. And I think that also going through those learnings that we've just spoken about also brought me to the third most impactful thing that I learned in therapy was exactly what you said. It's like we we don't share our truth with others and we build up a facade. And I would always feel like, oh, I'm so emotionally open and I'll share everything. But I only ever let you 75% in. And yeah. I held these dark you know, feelings or secrets about things that I'd done or, or who I was that I think that I spent a lot of time covering up from. So I have gone through insane levels of um, over overachieving, you know, from school, had to get the top grades, had to be in the best sports teams, had to make this much money as an adult, um, had to look a certain way. Like I just, everything made sense when it was like, oh my goodness, your whole life has been shaped by building a persona that's protective around you. That wow. if I'm just like this, if I just do this, if I make this much money, if I get these grades, they'll like me, they'll care for me, everything will be fine. And a huge part of my journey has just been breaking down that protection and relinquishing the shame underneath to just be like, I am lovable just the way I am. Whether you tell me I'm lovable, whether I get those grades at school, whether this person fancies me or is into me. And just like actually coming to my core being like, am I okay with me Mm -hmm. in that, that like very most basic formula? And I don't think I was I think my life was very much like achievement based outside of me so it's just coming back to self which is what you always talk about the relationship with self right and and I'm not saying I mean I think a lot of people too assume if you've grown up in a middle or higher class uh, home or community that all of a sudden there's like you don't have another set of problems and again I I don't compare it but one of the things people don't realize is if you are a child who grows up around this high achieving it is not bad we're not demonizing anything however there can very often be this mindset that puts in that says this is how I get my worth and value by building the building those and you said something where it's one of my when I'm working with clients it's one of my favorite reasons to like lean one of my favorite things is to find that rhythm in the dance to lean in, to find my moment where we'll say, okay, like those things give you value. Well, well, who, 
who who's telling you that? Okay, if they're not there, then then who gets to who actually is determining our value? Who who gets to make that call? Is it the hot guy? Right? Is it the is it the mean girl? Like who who's determining our value? Who has all the power here? So we actually get back to who's holding the power to determine our value and our worth and if we're lovable. And I hear in your journey was getting to that place where like, no, I. I get I get to determine my value and my worth, even and even if those things aren't there and those achievements aren't there. And again, there's nothing wrong with the achievements. Say, oh, we like that. I can be proud of myself. I love what I've done here. At the same time, where do we get that sense of value and worth? Uh, and and who gets to determine that? You know, and I think it's so difficult in today's society because you know you just go on TikTok or you go on Instagram, and everyone seems to be running you know a six figure business by traveling around the world making all this money so easily and they look amazing and they're in a bikini the whole time. And you just feel like if I can just do that business, if I can just be in a bikini like them, everything will, you know, be easier. I will be happy. And actually you're, you're right. Where does that pressure come from? And that's been a big part of my journey is, and I just spent the last four months in Mexico where I lived out of a suitcase for four months. I didn't even mean I just went there on holiday and I ended up staying. And it was such a humbling experience because, you know, in London, I have four pairs of the same trainer in every color because I'm like, oh, I love that. Like, I need them all. And then I'm away and I'm like, who told me that I need four pairs of the same trainer in every color just so everyone's like, oh, that's so cool. You've got them in that color. So it's been like wrapping process. And that that mindset, I think, is where like we I would encourage people to go when we're looking at what like even a process we would do in therapy is to say, I'm gonna use the four trainers. It's like, well, hold on. Okay, so I'm getting like I want these four trainers, but I'm gonna come back around and be like, wait, hold on. Do do I want this? Is this what I want, or do is it think what I what I think I should have? And it still may be like, yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do want it. But can we pause in those moments and say, wait, is this what I want? And I'm gonna tie this, I'm gonna go the direction of dating now, because you know, I love to talk about dating and relationship. It's like, I don't know. I've like fell into that bucket and I haven't gotten back out. I mean, clearly as a therapist, like I deal with so much more than like dating and relationships, eating issues, OCD, depression, anxiety. But I, I've, I started in that, that bucket and I haven't been able to climb out and I love it. I absolutely love talking about dating and relationships. And I had just an epiphany real quick. And that is, I finally realized like, because I think at our core, we all want to be somebody's favorite. And we want to have a favorite. We want someone to look at us and say, you are my favorite. And not to just be your mom and dad, because then we go like, yeah, but you have to, because like you're a mom and dad, you're like supposed to feel that way. But there's something about feeling that someone is our favorite or they look at us and be like, I, I got you. And I think our soul deep down longs for that in a safe place environment to have that sense of, we all want to be somebody's favorite. And so I think that's why I love going back to us to say, to have grace to say, how do you build out a beautiful life? But how do you also say, and I would love to share it with somebody and, and that's okay. But I want to tie what we were talking about, because what we were just talking about internally is also what I think is a big shift and a game changer with dating. And that is to say, going into a date saying, I wonder what they're going to think of me. I wonder what they're like, because when we're wondering outside in what they think of us, it's never going to feel good. But adding that part to say, well, hold on, what, what do I think of them? What did I think of their personality? And when I go inside out, it actually starts to sit different in our body, if that makes sense. I love that. And I think that we spend our lives subconsciously feeling like, is this person going to pick me, choose me, love me, validate me? But mm-hmm. we're not always consciously aware of it. You know, I wouldn't sit mm-hmm. on a date being like, oh, are they, are, you know, are they going to pick me, choose me? You just kind of end up in this situation in today's society where if they don't, it's a reflection on your level of yes. worth. 
even if that person shouldn't be picking you because you shouldn't be picking them either. Yes. And I've yeah. so many people doing this. Well, wait, can we take it one step further and be like, you probably shouldn't have been on a date to begin right. with because, because right. like, we're not vetting. We're not like sifting through to actually get a good date with a solid person, right? Like somebody that yes. you actually enjoy. And then this this person will just not non-gender schmuck, all of a sudden them like not wanting to you when you're like, wait a minute, if I really stopped and thought about if I wanted you either, I don't think I, I would, right? And then you take it one step further is that they don't want you but just because they don't want you, yes, yes. then want them to want you. <laughs> so the whole thing becomes this like inconsistent chasing game over two completely, totally incompatible people. And I, I just yeah. think that we just get lost in it. That, exactly. That has more to do with validating our identity and worth than it does actually wanting to be in a relationship with this person, right? Or thinking right. it's a good fit, which is why we have to separate out our identity, value, and worth from a relationship being a good fit. And I don't believe that they have to happen where it's like, no, I have to be single. I have to do my own work. I have to be all fixed or healed. I, I'm always like, like, you can't be all good and then go into a relationship. It doesn't work that way because the whole point of being in a safe relationship is you're going to get triggered because there's another person there. And I, I talk about that all, all the time because it's something that I think people like think like, oh, I just have to like fix my shit and then insert me into a relationship and it'll work fine. Well, I'm, that, that doesn't work like that. No. And on that point, the more work that I've done, the more that I've turned into a calm, conscious, regulated person. And I mean, I was not before my temper was bad. My attachment wounds were bad. You know, I was like hot and cold. And I would always just say, oh, it's because I'm a Sagittarius. I'm really passionate. You know, actually, <laughs> no, no, Louise, you were just like emotionally like immature and you were like a little bit erratic and inconsistent, if I'm honest. Um, and as I shifted into this more calm person, I have now been able to attract a more calm person. And I would say now for the first time in my life, maybe second, I'm in an incredibly healthy relationship where we can hold space for each mm. other's uncomfortable emotions. And oh my goodness, you know, I am not fully healed, but when something comes up that I need to process, he sits there and is able to hold space for it. And we're able to navigate that. And if we get into conflict, it's okay, we're going to take a step back. We'll come back at this time. And it's just revolutionary to be able to, you know, be able to process with someone else. Well, you 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 touched on something that I want to add, like a little psychological psych ed about. So what you, what you're describing is somebody that does not become dysregulated by your dysregulation. And I'm going to say that again because this is key. When somebody gets their feelings hurt or bumps out of their zone, what often happens? The other person can't hold space and they get bumped. And when you when when you're upset and that makes them upset, then it's like both then it's like the floor drops out and there's nothing solid. And what I hear you saying is you can come in, you can even be dysregulated, or you could be upset about something and he can hold space, meaning he is staying solid and regulated in a way that you guys can then come together. If you need to take space, take space, circle back around, be able to communicate that and be able to hold the space that actually, because here's what happens. If you're upset and your obsessed upsetness dysregulates your partner, then you never get to be able to have this play. Then it's almost like what you're upset about gets hijacked because then it now becomes about they're upset too. And then it becomes a much bigger issue. And so it's realizing that in a healthy, secure relationship, it's somebody who's able to hold space that your upsetness doesn't get them into their own head and their own feelings. And they're able to hold that and set, have that and sit with you in that. Does that make sense? 
Totally. And it's been a big part of my journey is to work on that internal regulation myself is when I feel those big responses coming up. It's, you know, I've learned to breathe into it and to just connect with the feelings before it's too late. And then they bubble over and then you've said something or done something that you regret. But yeah, I mean, his stability for me has been eye opening as to how one can be secure, centered, and regulated. And it's, uh, yeah, been eye Well, I want to, and I want to tie what you said back to something we were talking about in the beginning with that sense of false self and that putting yourself forward and that like, when I feel like I was my, my true self, because if you are in a relationship, so let's think about, particularly in those younger years, oh, we all did it. I did it myself too. But it was a sense of putting this image out of who I wanted them to think I was. And then you start dating. Now, if you think about the logic here, you go into a relationship, you're like putting this false sense forward of like this cool girl who's just like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. But then inside the real part of you, there's things that are not good. And you're in, and then you end up in this relationship where you've created this false sense of self that you have to keep up by the way because your body's like don't change now this is who they are who, who they are this is who this is who they think you are and then there's part of you that's like yeah but i'm not cool with that action or i want to say something and then it's like you flip-flop into this sense of i'm supposed to be the cool girl who's like super chill and then there's part of you but we're not the cool girl because real me true me is like i am not okay with that and so you end up in this like relationship where you feel like you're flip-flopping in your own body back and forth and that doesn't feel good in your own body i don't know if that if you've ever been in that kind of situation, but it doesn't feel great. Yeah. On the flip-flopping kind of analogy, I think I felt that, so for me, I grew up with a very emotionally suppressed father, but a very vocal mother. So she would shout at him and he would shut down. So I think that going to therapy helped me learn that I have taken on traits of my mother, which is that when I do express, I would tend to let it build up and up and up and then vocalize. But before that, I had learned from my father, like, shut down, shut down. So on the flip yeah. flop side, it was like, yeah. I would hold it, hold it in, hold it in. Yeah. And then it would be late and it would explode. Exactly. And it's like that double sided flip flop approach. Th that, that is exactly it. It's holding in, holding in. If I were to add the falsehood, so I'm going to hold it in. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm not good. And then boom, I like flip. And then I like become accusatory or I let it out or I'm angry. And it's all built, built up because also I'm trying to keep up this false sense of how chill and cool I am. I'm the cool girlfriend, right? And like, then like, I'm not the cool girlfriend. And, and so then we end up with this flip-flopping, which feels horrible in our body. Notice where I go there. It's not on how, what it does to my partner in that moment. It just, it, it's a hard body to live in. So I want to, I'm going to kind of ask another question going a different direction, if you're okay with answering it, but how did you meet your significant other? Cause I love hearing stories. Oh yeah. So I was just at a hotel in Mexico and he worked there and, um, we would just, yeah, he was kind of given to look after me to, for the day. It's a long story, but basically I was like given a free day at this hotel because of some complaint I had previously. And it's actually such a sweet story. So he was looking after me and, um, I couldn't work out what to buy from menu. I was like panicking because I'm very high energy sometimes. And I was like, Oh my God, should I have tacos or should I have this? And he just took my hand and he just like held my hand and he said, it's okay. Take a breath. What does your body feel like? And I just looked at my friend. Holy cow. I was Holy just cow. Like, Are I you just like, I was like, oh my God. And he's so handsome, but his energy was just so calm. And the way he just held my hand, it was just like, just so grounding. And I was like, oh my goodness. Anyway, he is incredibly professional. So we didn't really speak much and there was not really much like personal chat for the rest of the day. So when we left, I went up to him and I gave him like $40, like as a tip to say thank you. And he looked down at it 
And then he looked up at me and he didn't really say anything. You know, I was giving him the opportunity to kind of say, would you like my number? Because I didn't even know if he was single or anything um, or straight or anything for that matter. I didn't know if he was married. Yeah, he had yeah, kids, yeah. nothing. <laughs> I mean, he could, have had, he could have had three little tots at home for all you know. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like I've learned the hard way before. So now I'm just like, no, I'm not going to put myself out there right now. Um, and he looked down and he just kind of looked up at me. And then I was like, okay, bye. And I walked off and I thought, oh, like, what a shame. Maybe I didn't give him enough tip. You know, the way that he... <laughs> Maybe he was like 40, 40, right. that's it. Like, <laughs> I thought the taco help guidance was at least 50. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I bumped into him like two weeks later. And um, yeah, it later came out that he just thought that I might have written my number on the $20 bill. Uh. He was like in that moment he was disappointed that I hadn't and he just kind of missed missed the mark but what was so sweet is that he kept the $20 bill so when I left Mexico I wrote like you're cute call me and my number and I framed it and I gave it to him and it's like a little mem memoir of our of our meeting I, I love that well one of the reasons I love to ask people their stories is because it I think it gives other people hope we need to hear that there's no recipe there's not like okay go on a dating app do this exact thing and then you are going to be guaranteed. And it's why I'm not a big fan of the lot, a lot of the dating programs. It's not that there's not good information, but there is no guarantee. There is no guarantee if you use this app. There's no guarantee if you use no app. There, there's no guarantee, but we need to have hope. And what I get from your story is a few things I want to extract here. And one of them is you have no idea when you, who you're going to meet next week. You have no idea who you're going to meet tomorrow, you know? And the other thing I want so that hope of like, you didn't know, you didn't go down to Mexico being like, I'm going to meet this hot guy who's emotionally attuned. I mean, maybe in our head, we were like joking about it, you know, like, but, but like, there's no way that like you had no idea that you were going to meet him the day before you even got, you were introduced to him. The other thing that's really key here, and I did an entire podcast episode on it. It was called, I'm single and I don't want to be. And it was about people who were didn't want to use dating apps, but it's like, what can we do to engage? And you did a few of those things, those, those, those skills that I want to highlight. And one is you interacted, right? You interacted. The one is you made yourself open. I even you even said I paused. I gave him the $40 and then I created this window of pause. So my that your body language is open, your engagement's open, right? And that sense of I don't know what's on the other side. And a lot of people will say, well, that's exactly why I don't ask people out because I don't know if they're gay. I don't know if they're straight. I don't know if I don't know if they have already another partner. But you have to understand majority of people, even if they're with somebody, find it extremely flattering. And you could even say, look, I hope this isn't appropriate. I'm not saying you should have initiated it. I love that you created that window. But if you are engaging with someone, pause, create a window. If you're, even if you're someone who's like, well, I want to be able to initiate, but I don't want to be offensive. But you can always just simply say, hey, I don't know if this, you know, i I, I don't know if you're with somebody, hopefully this isn't offensive, but I would really be interested in, in getting to know you more. And all that is, is flattering. And, and right. And just, you're just throwing the tennis ball over and they can choose to hit it back or they can just say, thank you. I'm already on the court with some, on the court with somebody else, but that's not, it's not a reflection of us. Now we're back to the sense of identity, the fear. If, if it taps into this sense of rejection, now we're back to the sense of it being evidence again, that somebody doesn't want me rather than being a fit and in that fit. And I loved how you just, you kept it open. You kept it open. And to say like, okay, is he going to hit the ball over? And and he didn't in that moment, but even just notice, notice the, um, where his head was at, you had no idea what he yeah. was thinking. 
I love the concept of being open. And I would say it's definitely one of the more positive traits in my personality is that I truly believe that your life can change in any moment. I mean, I have met people yeah. on airplanes, not even just romantic, but business, romantic friendship. I've met people on airplanes. I've met people in coffee shops, you know, even asking people, hey, what's the Wi-Fi password? If you do it with a smile and an open body language, rather than going up to ask the person that works there, if there's a cute guy next to you, a cute girl next to you, I just like to open up micro moments. And maybe that micro moment is but maybe it's going to be the person you'll spend the rest of your life with or someone you'll start a business with. You just never know. You And I love that. You open up micro moments. I love that line. I may need to snatch it because it is, I really like that it's opening up micro moments. And it's not just to the hot person. And here's why. Let's say you, there's a sweet little old lady sitting there and you like are talking about asking her for the Wi-Fi. You don't know if she has a hot grandson. You don't know who she knows, like just opening up micro moments to human beings, not people you think just are for you or someone you're interested in, or I'm just finding my mate. No, no, no. Opening up micro moments to the world that that I think. And by the way, when you do that, how does that sit in your body when you open up micro moments to just people in general? What's that like to live? Well, I would say initially it felt very uncomfortable and that's because I come from Britain. Okay. We're particularly (laughs) closed down emotionally. We don't we never say anything. You know, you go to America and you're like, you're, you guys are like, hey, there's a queue. Like, get to the back of the queue. Like, in England, <laughs> someone could push to the front. You wouldn't say a thing. You just say to the person next to you, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they pushed in. Oh, my goodness. And you'd like suppress it and you don't say anything. You don't connect. So, yeah, initially it was a little bit uncomfortable. But now it feels amazing. Like, I smile at people. I feel like an excitement. Any moment can yeah. be a, a big moment. Well, and, and again, here's another therapy piece, which is why I think therapy is so helpful. And you did because because you actually did a skill right there. That is you leaned into the uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable to begin with when there's when I'm working with somebody with anxiety or when something or social anxiety. And by the way, these skills we're talking about, you may say, well, I'm not I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Uh, introvert means you can still talk to people. Introverts different than social anxiety. And if you really are having a hard time engaging, interacting with people, then that's about, oh, maybe I need to work on social anxiety. And again, another great reason to, to go to therapy. But it really, when I'm working with someone with social anxiety, it's about how do you lean into the uncomfortable because the more I lean in and the more I do it, then the uncomfortable decreases and goes down, right? And that's what we're looking at. And that you said, no, it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable to begin with. And by the way, if it was comfortable, you'd already be doing it. Where we grow is increasing our ability to tolerate being uncomfortable, or it may feel foreign or chunky. That's okay. That's how something becomes more familiar. Just as if you're learning a new language. When someone's learning a new language, it starts by sounding awful. How do you do it? You keep doing it over and over, leaning in until it starts to become more familiar. And we're saying the same thing with those micro moments and engaging with people. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that as well, because since coming back to London, I felt incredibly overwhelmed. My nervous system, you know, being back in a city, having so many things to do, it's been incredibly overwhelming. And just yesterday, I was talking to someone about how I'm basically going to approach this week in increments. So instead of saying, you know, I'm back, I'm going to do this, this and this, I'm going to see this person and this person, this person, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to pick tiny, small micro moments and little wins And Mm -hmm. I think that for me, that has just reduced and relieved the insane pressure and anxiety. So a bit like what you're saying, instead of going out there thinking every time I smile at someone, I'm going to try and find my husband. No, right. It's 
tiny right. moment on tiny moment, which again is where I've kind of been able to avoid that flip-flop that we were speaking about. It, exactly. And that, that applies not just for finding my mate or my partner, but also for my job. Because remember, those things are macro and you can't get them in this moment. I can't just walk up to you. I mean, yes, it does happen every freaky blue moment, but the sense of like, no, here's your job. It's like, or, oh, here's your spouse. It doesn't work that way, but it's zooming in because also anxiety needs something to do. Anxiety needs something. So when I feel like there's something I have control over or a step action step I can take, that's regulating to our body. And that happens. It happens in those micro moments. I want to share with you just to your point of what you were saying. I, I was just sharing with you right when we got on, Louise, about my my debacle on, on my flights were being canceled and I was trying to get home so I could get on a flight to London today. Um, and I, as I was getting on the plane, I went to go scan my ticket after I'd already checked in and they were like, um, you're in the wrong gate. And I'm like, and they're like, you should be at that gate. And I'm like, well, no, not going to Minneapolis today. That's not happening. And so it was like, oh, your flight to LA got canceled literally like in, in, in at the, at a live moment. And so then we went, so they were trying to reroute me. And there was a couple, a young couple who I could tell were in the same situation I was in. And so I was like, oh, are you guys in the same situation? They're like, yeah. And they ended up getting, they rerouted us several times, but I ended up sitting next to them. And again, in that micro moment was just like, oh, like, are you, you know, did you, I don't, did you, are you guys going to LA? What are you going to LA for? And they're like, oh, we're going to LA for our honeymoon. And so again, here's this micro. And of course, you know, I can't help myself. I was telling myself, I was like, Lisa, just don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm like, oh, how did you guys, I cannot help myself to be like, how did you meet? Tell me about your relationship. Like, I mean, like they probably were like, who is this girl? But like, it's almost like I can't help myself because I love it so much. But even just chatting with them on the plane and just, no, did anything come of it? Did any bigger things come of it? No, but you have no idea. And yeah, they were actually catching a cruise for their honeymoon and they were so cute. And like, we were chatting it and just these moments that added like pleasure. It adds these moments of like engagement and connection. And I, I would say, especially if you're somebody who your life doesn't have as much family or it feels socially a little bit more isolated. One of the biggest things I work on with clients is how to build a life. You don't want your partner to be the one who's everything's contingent on your partner. And all of a sudden it's like they're holding this gift that says, oh, by the way, your wonderful, beautiful life comes with me. No, we don't put our life on hold. We create moments with inter interacting with other people and how do I build a life? And one of them is in those micro, micro moments of engaging with people and makes you not feel as lonely either. Totally. We think, you know, we're so connected in today's society because everyone's at the end of our phone, but actually it's those real human yes. moments that are so important. And you just, like you said, you never know where they'll take you. And I think just also practicing the uncomfortable micro moments has been incredible for me. Like I saw, I thought I saw on my boyfriend's phone before we became official, like a yellow app, like the Bumble app. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, the old me would have been like, okay, I'm either going to suppress this or I'm going to like basically blow up at some point when I'm like annoyed at something else and bring it into the argument. And instead, like I took a deep breath and actually, no, I didn't take a deep breath in that moment. I thought now's not the moment to have this conversation. So, you know, the self-regulation. And then a little bit later that day, I said, I just wanted to bring up something that made me feel a bit uncomfortable. And I just, I thought I saw this and I'd love to discuss it. And he showed me it and he was like, no, like silly. It's like, I don't know, some, some other app. He was like, I'm not on any dating apps. Like I'm, and I'm not dating anyone else. 
And just having that small, uncomfortable micro moment that I was able to approach calmly just took me to such an amazing outcome in the conversation. That That is a huge skill. And it's a huge skill for relationships. Because if you hadn't done that, your body would have, first of all, you'd be blowing up in your body. It would stay in your body. Your brain would start creating narratives and creating movies for what it thought it saw. And it will it would literally create full-blown like like sequels, like, like it would be a trilogy your body would create of everything it saw just because of that micro moment of thinking it saw an app that looked like Bumble. Or what would also happen is you would wait till they hopped in the shower, went in the other room and you would try to go look at their phone and act all cool. Like you're okay with it. And then you're going and looking for more evidence, more evidence. And in that moment, that uncomfortable conversation. And again, we're back to identity because if what's driving me is this fear of rejection, then I will not leave space to say, you know, I just know I need the partner. I need to have the kind of partner that I'm not accusing, but saying, Hey, I think I saw something. And as we are building trust, because in the beginning of a relationship, the first, I, I mean, the, the beginning, not just a definitive time. It's not like six weeks and now you, you have to have trust built. No, no, no. However long it takes for your body to build trust, I want to be able to build trust, which means there's going to be times I want to say, hey, can we look at this together? If that makes somebody run away, I'm telling you right now, dolls, like that is not the relationship for you. You want somebody who's like, yeah, sure. Why? Because somebody who has nothing to hide has no problem with saying, yeah, let's sure. Let's look at it together. And actually being something that's not sneaky or hidden under the table, but it's something that is looked at together. And if that makes them run, then you want to say, thank you next. Thank you. Yeah. But this is not what I want. I love that. The openness to building together. I think like another thing is after doing all this therapy, I always said to myself, okay, my next relationship, I want it to be super conscious, super healthy. You know, I want to do these check-ins and all the things that you see on TikTok and you hear people doing blah, blah, blah. So I sat down at dinner with him one night. We went out to a really nice sushi restaurant and I kind of just like threw it at him. I was like, so like, what was the highlight of your, of us this week? What was the low point? And I'm not going to lie. He was like, whoa, he was taken aback. And instead of like getting really defensive and being like, oh my God, like, why are you asking me this? He just said to me, um, this is a, this is kind of uncomfortable for me because I've never been with a girl who asks questions for a positive reason. You know, normally they'll be wow. questions to have a fight and he just like couldn't comprehend. So when I said, no, this is for the benefit of us, he took a few moments and he was like, it's uncomfortable, but I love it. Let's do it. And I just feel like, again, we just took a massive step forward in that moment. Well, that's huge. And But even for him for, to notice the reaction it had in his body is like my past experience has been if girls were asking questions, it was to sniff something out and something that would end up biting me in the ass later on that they'd be, why did you say that? Or what was that meant for? And that's the investigating. So recognizing too, when you meet somebody or you start engaging in a relationship, you have to leave space for that you don't know their past experience. And even him being able to say, hey, you know what? This is why I've had a past experience of why I'm reacting this way. That also is a key piece to healthy relationship is saying, let me explain to you why I reacted this way. Let me explain to you why I'm saying, hey, this is, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I think I saw this Bumble app on your phone. Well, let me tell you why. Let me share with you my past experience. I'm aware of it. I know you're not that person. But, and even sharing your past experience, not all of it, but explaining why you are reacting the way you are, again, adds so much clarity and leaning in to that relationship. Well, with, with the last of our time, you may need a second to think about it because I, I love. We we didn't. We decided you and I. We were not even going to talk about what we we're going to talk about today. So I love it. You're like anything goes, and I'm like yes, love it, love it. Um, if you were to think of 
like the one of the most valuable things or messages that you would either want to pass on to people that are list to my listeners are listening or encourage people if you had one thing that you would say that you'd want to sh- pass on or share or encourage is there anything that comes to mind yeah the first thing that came to mind is you are not your past mm. and I think that so many of us build our identity around the things that we've gone through and we hold these stories and the shame and the regret. And we feel like deep down, maybe someone won't love us if they know about what happened there or our battles with this or this in the family, you know, whatever those things are. And I think that for me, it's that you are so lovable no matter what has happened. Mm. And at any any moment, you can start to build a new healthy self-identity that is around, you know, the your true self rather than um, the conditioning and stories that we've lived through. I love that. I love that. You know, that's one of the journeys that with my clients, and then we'll go back to like, well, what does give somebody value? What makes them lovable? And I'll start to ask questions and I'll ask more questions. And then ultimately we get back to like, when you were placed in somebody's arms, the first second of your life, did you have value? Did you have value? And what did you do? Nothing. You screamed, maybe pooped. I mean, that's about it. But they sat there and they held you and you had such value by being alive by the Mm -hmm. fact that you were laying there and you were being held and you did nothing to deserve it. There's nothing you did to earn it. The fact that you existed is what gave you value. And that, and it's, I think that's where you're, I saw a similar thread in where you were going. Exactly that again, giving me goosebumps and you hear how many mothers say like, I just loved you from the moment I set eyes on you. You just had nothing except just yeah, and, and that's where if somebody did not have that kind of parenting or did not have that, I will also bring in an element. I, you know, I like to bring in if spirituality is something they connect with to say, do, do not think you don't have a God who held you and and yeah. and really saw beauty and crafted you and you were wanted and you were loved. So if that spiritual element exists in their life, I'll also bring that in if they feel like they did not they did not have that um, growing up. But you are you are, we are given value because we exist in humanity. And I. I say that a lot. It's it's in our humanity. If we can have grace and we can have space to say, we're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all learning as we go. Right. And that you have value just in, in being alive and being human. Right. And then, and then going from there. So I, I love that we have very, very similar messages. Well, as, as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, I think we we're going to try to grab coffee when I'm in London. Cause I just, I hope so. I love, I love that. It, I love the timing of it. I always feel like there is no such thing as coincidences. I right. just, I don't, I think they're just beautiful micro moments to take, to take oh. your, to take your line. That's yeah. the ending. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So one more time, just let people know where they can find you. I want to make sure that if they, I mean, if also guys check out her TikToks, it's just really great little pops of encouragement and like, yes. And be like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And I would, I really would love people to be able to find you. Oh my goodness. You are so kind and sweet. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm the therapy girl, I think with two underscores on TikTok and the podcast, the podcast is the open house podcast with Louise Rumble and leading therapists on Apple and Spotify. Love it. All right. Well, with that, we will sign off. I will see you soon. Travels. Take care. Bye. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. 
With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Cilias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.